Fearing God is all about properly worshiping Him. This message is the fourth in the series, Wiser. The message is entitled, The Wisdom of Worship, Part 2. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. I want to begin this weekend by a reminder of the launching pad for this series, the verse that really helps us to kind of bring all this together. It's Proverbs chapter 4, verse number 7. It says that getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do, and whatever else you do, develop good judgment. What is the wisest thing you can do according to the Bible? It's get wisdom. And so the more wisdom you get, the better your life is going to be because the better decisions you're going to make with life. And so it's important to ask the question, what is wisdom? What is it? We're using a definition in this series that I think brings together all the different concepts in the Bible of wisdom. I tried to pull them all together in one paragraph, and that's what this definition is about. And so it's going to be on the screen. If you would read this with me together aloud and loudly at all of our campuses, that would be wonderful. Here we go. Wisdom is the accumulation and possession of knowledge, truth, guiding principles, moral precepts, right values, proper priorities, good sense, and prudent judgment from God's perspective, and the ability to practically apply these to everyday life and decisions. Wisdom, according to the Bible, is this whole realm of accumulating knowledge, truth, guiding principles, moral precepts, right values, proper priorities, good sense, prudent judgment, not from human perspective, but from God's perspective, but it goes a step further. Real wisdom is knowing how to actually use all of this information in your day-to-day life in a way that helps you make better decisions and live a better life. Now, the Bible is very clear about where wisdom starts. How do you get started on this journey toward all these things we just looked at in terms of wisdom? How does it become a part of your life? And Proverbs 9, verse 10 tells us how you even get on the pathway of wisdom. Listen to what it says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you want to learn wisdom, you can't even learn it, can't start learning it without what phrase do we find there? The fear of the Lord. And last weekend we talked about this phrase, the fear of the Lord. I want to bring it back to your attention again this weekend. And for a lot of people, when they read that phrase in the Bible, the fear of the Lord, they say, well, what is that all about? Does that mean I need to be afraid that God's going to zap me every time I do something bad? Should I be intimidated of God? What is this about? And so according to scripture, the fear of the Lord simply is this. It means that from our hearts and lives, we have a reverence toward God. We awe who God is. We recognize that he is the one and only God that is worthy of our worship and worthy of our praise and worthy of our adoration and worthy of our obedience that we have a reverence for God or it's really, really capsuled in one word to have the fear of the Lord is to be a worshiper of God. It is to learn how to worship. So worship is the fear of the Lord. To worship God is to fear Him. Now, last week when we talked about the fact that this whole idea of worship, the fear of the Lord, leads to, what does it say? The fear of the Lord or the worship of God is the beginning of, what is it the beginning of? Wisdom. So you can't even start down the pathway of wisdom without being a worshiper of God. And we talked about there being a right and wrong way of worship last weekend. We talked about the importance of realizing that who and what you worship is going to determine who and what you become. And today I'm going to share with you three other things that you need to understand about this relationship between worship and wisdom, the fear of the Lord and wisdom, okay? 
So what's this connection? What is this relationship that you need to understand in a practical way in your life? The first thing I want to talk about today, and you'll find it on your notes, if you're taking notes, and I would encourage you to do so, is that right worship opens the way for increased wisdom. That right worship opens the way for increased wisdom in, in your life. The fear of the Lord or the worship of God is the beginning of wisdom. To understand this, in just a moment I'm going to talk to you about one character in the Bible that is a very important person in Scripture. His name is Solomon. But to understand Solomon, I need to take you on a little bit of a, a journey in biblical history. I love the history of the Bible. So let me walk you through uh, some of the sequence of people that lead up to Solomon and the importance of his life and what precedes him that makes his story so valuable to us. The story of the Old Testament, just so you'll understand, the Bible is divided into two parts. The Old Testament, 39 books in the Old Testament. The New Testament, 27 books in the New Testament. The Old Testament really is the story of the nation of Israel, God bringing them together, uh, establishing covenant with them, and leading them as a nation to the point that Messiah would be born, the promised Messiah who is Jesus Christ. And then we come into the book of Matthew and the New Testament, and then the story of Jesus and the church begins as it unfolds all the way from Matthew to the book of Revelation. So in the Old Testament, Old Covenant, it's about God's relationship primarily with the nation of Israel, although we pull out principles for our lives. And God established the nation of Israel, starting with a man by the name of Abraham. Most of you know Abraham, and then following him, Isaac and Jacob. And so those were the three that were the beginning points for Israel. And then Israel ended up, or the people of Israel ended up in a place called Egypt, and they were slaves there for 400 years until God raised up a deliverer by the name of, what's his name? Moses and God sent Moses into Egypt and God used Moses to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea miraculously and they're headed toward the promised land, but they never made it into the promised land under the leadership of Moses because the people rebelled. And so for 40 years, for four decades, they wander around in the wilderness, not heading into the promised land that, that, that God wanted them to experience, but their disobedience and their disbelief kept them out. After Moses died, the next leader on the scene was a man by the name of Joshua. Exactly. Joshua now leads them into the promised land. He leads them across the Jordan River. They capture the city of Jericho. They do all these incredible things, driving out all the enemies in the land of Canaan. And Joshua leads them to possess the land. And so the 12 tribes of Israel possessed the land of promise that God had for them. And then Joshua died. And when Joshua died, there was no leadership in Israel. And so we enter into a period of time in your Bible that's called the period of the Judges. And in the period of the judges, that's when Israel was kind of up and down with God for some period of time. They would worship God and they would fall into idolatry and they would get into trouble. And then God would raise up a judge or a deliverer. People like Gideon and people like Samson that God used to help deliver them from oppression at times. Then they would go back into sin again. And the Bible says that during this period of time, there was no king, no one ruling in Israel. And so every person did what was right in their own eyes. So it was a time of great chaos in the country, in the nation, in that world, that part of the world, and that, 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 that nation of God called Israel. Coming out of the period of judges, of the judges, God raised up a priest and a prophet 
by the name of Samuel. Anybody remember Samuel in your Bible? Samuel means ask of God. And you might remember the story that he's born miraculously uh, by his mother, Hannah, prayer. She prayed to God. She couldn't have kids. And she prayed to God. And God gave her this child, Samuel. And Samuel was raised in the house of God because he was given back to God to serve him. And he becomes a prophet. He becomes a priest. And he begins to lead Israel in a wonderful way during this period that was continuing what we would call a theocracy in Israel. God ruling uh, in his people or over his people through his appointed leaders that that are given to them. But there was this point when some of the elders of Israel came to Samuel and they said, Samuel, we've been looking at all these other nations and everybody else has a king. We want a king like everybody else does. We want to look like all these other nations. And it grieved the heart of Samuel because he realized that if they had a king, a human king, it was going to displace God as king. And so Samuel goes to God and begins to cry out about this. And God says, don't worry about it, Samuel. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me that I should rule and reign over them. Go ahead and give them a king. Give them what they're asking for. But you tell them what's going to happen when they get a king. And so God, through Samuel, appoints a king. And the first king of Israel, does anyone know his name? A man by the name name of Saul, exactly. And Saul starts out as a, as a great guy. He's humble. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. A lot of good things he begins to do when he starts out. But over a period of time, Saul becomes proud and arrogant and begins to disobey God. And by the time you get to the end of Saul's life, it's pitiful. He's just a, he's just a, he's a mess, okay? And so God even said to Saul, I'm not gonna, you're not my guy anymore, okay? I'm not going to bless you anymore. You've gone so far away from me. But I'm going to raise up a man after my own heart, and he's going to be the king of Israel, the next king. Does anyone remember his name? What was his name? You guys are a good Sunday school class. You're amazing, all right, okay? His name was David, okay? And David comes on the scene. Eventually, he becomes the king of Israel, and David, during his reign in Israel, he, he does incredible things. He extends the borders of Israel to places like it had never known before. He unites the 12 tribes, and they're finally united. He begins to bring prosperity to the land in incredible ways. And he actually uh, has this heart for God so much so that he writes all these psalms and hymns. In fact, our Bible contains 150 psalms, many of them that were written by David himself because he was a sweet singer of Israel. He was the man that loved to worship God. He was a man that loved the presence of God. He was the one that conquered Jerusalem and established it as the capital, a place of worship for Israel. And so David does all these great things. He brings the ark back to Jerusalem. He is an incredible leader. And so there's one word I want to give you that will summarize the leadership of David over Israel. Are you ready for the one word? The one word is this. He was absolutely amazing. There had never been a leader like this guy. In fact, if you go to Israel today, If you travel there with me today and we go to Jerusalem, I can take you to the place that is commemorated as the tomb of David. Still to this day, they venerate David because of the greatness of his leadership in Israel. No king like the King David. In fact, Jesus the Messiah comes from the lineage of David, in fact, of the tribe of Judah. David dies, and when David dies, before he dies, God speaks to David and said, I I want you to appoint one of your sons now to become the next king of Israel. And the man that you're going to appoint, the son that you're going to appoint, does anyone remember his name? Solomon, exactly. 
And so Solomon is appointed as the next king of Israel. Now think with me for a moment. This is so important to where I'm going to go in just a bit. You're Solomon. David is your dad. David is, what was the one word I gave you? He's amazing, okay? He's got really big shoes, okay? He's an awesome guy. He's done incredible things. And you're Solomon, and you got to follow him. Now, if you're like me, I don't want to follow a great leader. I want to follow a lousy leader. How about you, okay? Because there's a greater chance I can look better if I follow a lousy leader, right? Okay? Let me follow Saul, because I can at least look better than Saul. Saul was a mess, okay? Maybe I can be a little better than him. But now, now Solomon has the responsibility of following this amazing leader, his dad, big shoes to fill. And so he's now, he's now experiencing all of the emotions that go along now with being appointed as the next king of Israel. Now, I want you to notice with me today the very first thing that Solomon did after he's appointed, at least the first thing that we find recorded in the Bible that Solomon did after he's appointed by David to become the king. Notice what happens here in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verses 2 through 6. Everybody's still with me so far. If you are, say amen. All right, do I need to go over this again with everybody? You got it? All right, good. Listen to what happens. Then Solomon spoke to all Israel. So he's now king, all right? This is, we're going to see one of the first things that he does. Then Solomon spoke to all Israel, to the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, to the judges, to all the leaders of Israel and, and the heads of family. And Solomon and the whole assembly went to the high place at Gibeon, for God's tent of meeting was there, which Moses, the Lord's servant, had made in the wilderness. Now David had brought up the ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim to the place he had prepared for it, because he had placed pitched a tent for it in Jerusalem. But the bronze altar that Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, had made was in Gibeah in front of the tabernacle of the Lord. So Solomon, note this, Solomon and the, and the assembly inquired of him, inquired of God there. Solomon went up to the bronze altar before the Lord in the tent of meeting and offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. The first thing that Solomon does after he's been appointed as the king of Israel to follow in David's footsteps, the amazing leader that he was, the very first thing that Solomon does, he goes to the place called Gibeon where the tent of meeting was, and what does he do? He goes to God and he does what? He worships there. He engages in worship. He goes to the place of worship. He meets with God in worship. He seeks and inquires of God at the place of worship. He gives generously to God at this place of worship. He brings a thousand burnt offerings. And note this, unbeknownst to Solomon, this moment in his life was going to set him up for the most, most incredible experience he will ever have in his life. And the experience is now described in verse number seven. That night... God appeared to Solomon. Stop there with me for a moment. What night? The night after Solomon did what? The night after Solomon had done what again, church? He had worshipped. That night after he had worshipped, that night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered God, you have shown great kindness to my father, David. 
and have made me king in his place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father, David, be confirmed, for you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? God said to Solomon, since this is your heart's desire, and you've not asked for wealth, possessions, or honor, nor for the death of your enemies, and since you have not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people, people over whom I've made you my king made you king therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given you and I will also give you wealth possessions and honors such as no king who was before you ever had and none after you will have then Solomon went to Jerusalem from the high place of Gibeon from the, from before the tent of meeting and he reigned over Jerusalem or over Israel it's important to note something before Solomon receives wisdom what does he do he worships. Worship is the pathway to increased wisdom. And this is so extremely important for each one of us to understand. It is though God says to Solomon that night, Solomon, I've watched you today. You came before me. You inquired of me. You came to me with worship. You brought to me offerings. And now that I've seen what you've done, now I want to give back to you. What can I give to you? You've given to me. What can I give to you in return? See, folks, let me tell you something. You can never outgive God. When you give to God your worship, He always brings increase and expansion into your life. And many times God is waiting for us to set the stage in worship so He can bring increase into our lives. Can I ask you a question today for you to think about, about your life today? What would happen in your life if you just ramped up your worship at another level? What increase could happen in your life? Increase in wisdom and other kinds of things could happen in your life if you just took your worship up to another level. It's exactly what Solomon did. He brought his worship to another level. And because of that, God says, here's wisdom for your life because worship always leads to increased wisdom in your life. It's not as though God was rewarding Solomon for worship. God, didn't, God never gives you stuff because you deserve it. He gives you stuff because of his mercy and grace. But Solomon positioned himself for the increase God had in store for him. As the old folks used to say, you have to get under the spout where the glory comes out. And sometimes you have to position yourself where you need to be in God so that God can do what He wants to do in your life. And the best place to be is to be in a place of worship because worship leads to increase, including increase in wisdom. And the greater your wisdom, the greater everything else will be in your life. All you do, get wisdom. Because wisdom, getting wisdom, is the greatest thing you can do in life. Here's your second point. Right worship involves alignment of your attitudes and actions with God. So if worship is key to wisdom, what is worship? Worship is aligning your attitudes and your actions with God. That's all it is. To say to increase in worship means that you increase your alignment in your attitudes and in your actions with God. Let's talk about the word alignment for a moment. What does the word alignment mean? The word alignment is to get in line with. You know when you drive your car and your wheels are out of alignment, what happens is you get about 50 or 55 uh, miles an hour and your car starts shaking or your car pulls to the right or to the left because it's out of alignment. You get it into alignment, it does what it needs to do. And so you and I need to align with God in two aspects. First of all, in our attitudes and then, second of all, in our actions, let's talk about attitudes first, okay? 
You know that when it comes to worship, what God is interested in more than anything else, first and foremost, is your attitude. Because if your attitude, your heart's not right, your worship is going to mean nothing. Real worship starts where? Where does it start, folks? In your heart, okay? There are a lot of people that will go to church today, all around the world, and they'll go to church out of habit. They'll show up, they'll sit in a pew or a chair somewhere in a church, and they will sing the hymns or the songs, and they will go through the liturgies, they'll go through whatever the process of the worship is, and they'll click all those boxes off, and they will say, you know what, I worship. No, they didn't because their heart was not even engaged in it. Real worship is not about first and foremost your actions. Real worship starts where? In the attitudes of your heart. And when it comes to worship, there's one attitude that is the most important attitude in your life for genuine real worship, the kind of worship that leads to wisdom and that brings blessing and increase to every other area of your life. And the one word, one word you need to remember today is the word humility. Would you say that word with me? This is the number one thing God is looking for in your life, humility. Because without humility, you will never worship. You can't, you can't worship you and worship God at the same time. Pride is worshiping you. Correct? Okay. Pride is, life is all about me and what I want and what I want to get. And so pride and arrogance is all about setting myself in the center of my world. But humility is, genuine humility is when you come to the place of recognizing your absolute need for God, that you don't deserve any of the goodness of God, but you need Him and want Him, and you open your life to Him fully and completely. You humble yourself before Him. Jesus told a story about this. He said there were two men that went to the temple one day to pray, and one was a Pharisee. He was a very religious guy, and the other one was a, was a horrible sinner. And these two guys go to pray, to talk to God, and the Pharisee comes into the temple and says, God, I thank you that I'm an awesome guy. I thank you that I'm not like this guy over here because I do all the right things. I, I tick off all the boxes. I do everything right, God. You're really blessed to have me, God. You're blessed that I'm in your kingdom. Now, and by the way, I'm actually ad-libbing what he said, but you can read about it in the scriptures. Okay. The other guy over here, he, do, he realizes his broken condition. He prays a very simple prayer. What is the prayer he prays? Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And Jesus asked this probing question, which of the two went out justified before God? The man with self-righteousness or the guy over here in a humble attitude? Which one was it? The guy with the humble attitude. And so you and I need to learn one thing when it comes to worship. And the question in your life right now is how are you doing with humility? Why? Because humility is necessary to worship and worship is necessary for wisdom. You'll never have wisdom without humility because humility is what puts you in a position of being teachable. Humility brings teachability and teachability brings wisdom in your life. You'll never learn anything if you know it all. You'll never learn anything if you have it all together. You only learn when you come to a place of de being dependent upon God to teach you what you need to know with your life, to give up you and to turn your life toward Him. Take a look at these verses with me. The first verse is found in Psalm chapter 51. The psalmist David again said, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit a broken and contrite or humble heart, you, God, will not despise. Isaiah 57, 15, for this is what the high and holy one says. 
He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite. This again, that is another word for humble and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contract contrite. God says, when I find humility, I revive people. I pour in to people with the spirit of humility. Jesus said in Matthew 5 verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't say blessed are the rich in spirit. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit. The word that's used there in the original Greek language of the New Testament is a word that means abject poverty. Blessed is the person that realizes they don't have anything apart from God, that we need God above and beyond anything else. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And James the Apostle says in James 4 verses 6 or 8, but he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor or gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. The key part of this passage I want to draw to your attention today is the Bible says that we can be proud or humble. And the Bible says that God resists or opposes the proud, but He grants grace, increase, favor to the humble. Can I ask you, which of the two do you want in your life? Do you want to be resisted by God? By the Word? By the way, the Word resist or oppose. That God opposes or resists the proud. It's where we get our English word antihistamine from. It's that God sets Himself against. He resists the proud. But what does He do for the humble? He gives grace to the humble. And so humility is the number one attitude when it comes to worship. Can I ask you again, how are you doing with this part of your life? Does this describe you or does this describe you? And until you deal with this issue, you'll never become a worshiper. That's all about your heart and its relationship with God. Proud or humble? I'll tell you something else before we move on to this next point. If you don't humble yourself, God knows how to humble you, right? Amen? Okay. And so the big issue is not to wait for God to have to do it for us, but for us to do it before Him because it's the attitude of a worshiper. And let's go to the next part of this. So remember, what is real worship? It's the alignment of your attitudes and what else? Your actions. Let's talk about actions because worship does involve actions as well. I'm going to quickly share with you six actions. If you want to be, how many of you want to be a worshiper, a better worshiper, right? You do? Okay, where do you start? Humility, and then you begin to engage in these six activities. Every place you study worship in the Bible, you will find these six things. You will never worship without these six things. Number one, you have to learn to be a praiser of God. You must learn something about praising who God is. To praise God means that you recognize His attributes. You recognize His nature. And then from your own free will, you choose to speak back to Him and sing back to Him and declare back to Him the greatness of who He is. This is what praise is. Praise says, God, I want to thank You that You're awesome and mighty. God, I thank You that there's no problem that is too big for You. God, I thank You that You're greater 
bigger than anything I will ever face in my life. I thank you that you're a loving God that loves me in the midst of whatever I may be facing. And God, I come to praise and magnify and exalt and honor you because you alone are God. I worship and honor and bless your name. I praise you. And let me tell you, you'll never be a worshiper unless you learn to praise. You've got to be a praiser, and you can't just praise. Listen, you can't just praise when you feel like praising. Praising, real praise is to praise even when you don't feel like it. The Bible says of the psalmist David, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Can I ask you, do you practice praise? There's some people, I don't like that praise part of the service. Okay? I don't like that part. Well, you're going to have a really tough time in heaven. Because that's what heaven is, okay? If you don't learn to praise here, you have a really tough time in heaven. When was the last time you just stopped your world for a few moments and just took some time and said, God, I, I need increase. How many of you need increase in your life? Do you? Okay. Like Solomon, he needed increased wisdom. He knew he was in trouble trying to follow his father, David. He needed increase in his life. So he begins to worship. He begins to praise God. When was the last time you praised God? The second word is thanks. You have to give thanksgiving to God. While praise recognizes the attributes of God, thanksgiving recognizes the gifts of God in your life. What has God given me? Praise, I'm recognizing His attributes. In thanksgiving, I'm recognizing His gifts. I'm stopping for a moment to say, let me look at what God has done for me. You've been so, so good to me, so, so kind to me. God, I want to take a moment and thank you for the blood of Jesus that covers my sin. Thank you for the gift of Calvary that gives me eternal and abundant life. Thank you, Jesus for the roof that is over my head. Thank you, Jesus, for the clothes that are on my back. Thank you, Jesus, for the shoes that are on my feet. Thank you, Jesus, for the people you brought into my world. Lord, I just want to take a moment and not only praise you, but I want to thank you for every blessing you brought to me. When was the last time you stopped for just a few moments and not only praised God, but you thanked him for who he is and what he's done in your life? So you can't praise without thanking. You can't thank without speaking. You can't thank without speaking. I can't, after a great meal, I can't walk up to my wife and just think thank you. <laughs> Read my mind, honey. No, she wants to hear me say it, amen, okay? And God wants to hear you say thank you. When was the last time you said thank you, Jesus, okay? When was the last time you said thank you, God, for every blessing in my life? Would you say it together with me right now? Thank you. Come on, say it with me. Thank you, God, for every blessing in my life. Come on, church, say it. Thank you, God, for every blessing in my life. Come on, let's take a moment and give a praise and thanksgiving break. Would you do that? Come on, just begin to thank him. Come on, speak it out. Don't just clap your hands. Speak it out. Lord, I thank you and I praise you for every blessing you brought in my life. See, do you want to be a word? This is the way to wisdom. It's the way to wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And what is the fear of God? It is the worship of God. Solomon got this. He said, if I don't worship, I'll never get wisdom. I'll never be the person I need to be. I'll never have the increase I need in my life without worship. The third thing that worship involves, worship involves prayer. Now, I'm not talking about just the prayer that when you're in trouble, God, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the prayer that builds a relationship with God, that ongoing communication with him, that you set some time aside on a consistent basis to hang out with your father and let your father hang out with you. Just let the life of the father be downloaded into you.
And let the love of the Father be downloaded in you. Let me tell you something, folks. When you begin to hang around with your Father, and you let Him begin to minister, you'll find that you're not as needy as you are around people now, okay? When you are all needy and you need somebody to love on you all the time, guess what? It's usually indication that you haven't spent much time with the Father who has plenty of love to give you, okay? When you hang out with Him, He meets the deepest needs of your life. And so it's prayer that builds relationship with your Father, okay? And so how many of you want to be a worshiper? Do you, okay? Where does it start? Come on, where does it start? What's the number one thing God's looking for right there? Humility, okay? And then out of the humility of heart, you begin to praise, you begin to thank, you begin to spend time with God in prayer. Are you ready for the next one? Are you sure? You sure you can take it? Why don't you read it on the screen? Put the Oh, pastor, could you leave that one out? Okay. No, I'm sorry. I can't because it's in the Bible, okay? Do you remember when Solomon went to Gibeon to worship? What does the Bible say that he did? He brought a thousand burnt offerings to God, okay? Now, was he trying to buy God's favor? No. He realized something. He realized that the only way you can worship, truly worship, is by being a giver. There are a lot of people that want to worship God without the giving part. They want the getting part. And so they X out giving and they put getting. Okay? Right? But in the Bible, the, the giving always comes before the getting. Are you hearing me? Okay. And part of what God is looking for in your life as a worshiper is to freely give to Him. Now, are you talking about your finances and material realm? Yes, absolutely, because that's part of the substance of your life. That's why God teaches us the principle of the tithe is that the first 10% of what God gives us, we're to bring back to Him. Why? Because it's our gift of worship to Him. It's our way of saying, thank you, God, for the blessing you brought to us. It's my way of saying, God, I want to help you get your work done in the world. I want to help your church be strong. I want to help your church get the message out that needs to go forth to the ends of the world, to the love and grace of Jesus. Jesus that has saved me. I want to be a part of that. And so I'm stepping in, not just with my words, but I'm going to put some real skin in the game. I'm stepping in with my giving as well. I'm going to be a giver as a part of this. And so you can't worship without giving. You can't worship without praising. You can't worship without thanking. You can't worship without prayer. You can't worship without giving. By the way, let me say something else about this before I go to the next one. I've got two more to cover here. This is not a buffet. Okay, this is not like six items on the buffet. I'll take one and three. I don't want two and four, okay? No, worship involves all six of these, all right? The next one on the screen, what is it? Serving, okay? You can't worship without serving. Serving means that I, I have life and breath in, in my being for more than just surviving. I want to make a difference with my life. I want to take whatever gifts or capacity or strength that I have, and I want to serve God and serve people. I'm going to find a way to go beyond living my own life for myself. And so all throughout the scripture, you'll see that we're called in our worship to serve. In fact, one of the major words for, for, for worship actually can also be translated the word serve as well. It's a very powerful concept in the last one that we'll see here. Read it together with me. What is it? Obeying, And by the way, this word really wraps up all of them. That when God says, worship me, he's saying, I want you really just to obey me. 
Because real obedience is what worship is all about. So let's review those six again. What is worship? Where does it start first and foremost? Where? In your heart. What's the number one attitude God's looking for in your heart? How are you doing with that? Okay. Because you can't worship unless that's, what, that's there. And then out of a humble heart, what actions do you take? Say them with me. Praise. Thanksgiving. Prayer. Giving. Serving. Obeying. So Create a checklist for your life. Ask yourself, am I really a worshiper? Because the fear of the Lord or the beginning of wisdom is worship. It's where it all starts, having the right attitude and the right actions. Last point, I'm going to cover this extremely quickly. As we wrap up today, right worship only happens when our hearts are made right with God, when our hearts are made right with God. Let me see if I can explain it this way. In just a moment, i read our last verse from Ezekiel 36. But let me explain it to you this way. To be a worshiper of God, we have to have God do something in us that helps us to become a worshiper. Because we can't do it ourselves because we are sinners by nature. Everybody is a sinner. Everybody that's born into the world is a sinner. You never have to teach a child to lie. You have to teach them not to lie. Okay? Right? Okay? everybody's born a sinner, okay? We all have sin as our nature. And so because of sin, there's the holy God over here that we want to worship, right? Okay, we want to worship God, but He's holy, okay? So I, I want to worship Him, but I'm a sinner, and so I can't, I can't bring filth into the presence of purity, okay? And so I'm a sinner over here, so how am I going to get to a holy God and worship Him because of the filth in my life? I'm a sinner. And so this is what God said. God said, you, all of us have sheep, like sheep have gone astray, but God commended His love, showed His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ came and Christ died for us. And so Christ is the way I get to God, Okay? I don't come to God by myself because I'm a sinner. But in Jesus, I come into Jesus and Jesus does something for me and does something in me. He makes me a new creation. He washes me from my sins. And now because I'm in Jesus, I now can begin to be a worshiper of God. That's why Jesus is my testimony. Okay? Amen? Jesus is the testimony of my life. I don't get to God without Jesus. You can't just, ju- hey God. You can't do that you got to get there some way, all right? you got to get there through a pathway. That's why Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, okay? And so you've got to have a way to get to God, and Jesus is that way. And when you and I put our faith in Jesus, listen to what happens according to the prophet Ezekiel. Man, this is awesome, and I just might preach when I get to this part, all right? Here we go. Then, this is what happens. When you put Jesus in the center of your life and you get in Jesus, the Bible says this is what God does for you. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer what? Worship idols. Jesus says, when you come into me, I'm going to give you the first shower you've ever had in your entire life. I'm going to wash you clean spiritually. You're no longer going to worship idols. Verse 26, and I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. That's what Jesus does in your life, okay? And so all of a sudden now, here I was in my unredeemed condition, my sinful nature, and I couldn't get to what I needed, who I needed to get to, the God I wanted to worship, but I step into relationship with Jesus, and Jesus does this work in me that allows me now 
to worship the Father and have relationship with the Father, not because of what I did, but because of what He did. Amen. And today I want to ask you two questions. One, if you received Jesus at some point in time in your life, are you living in Jesus? So you can experience the fullness of worship that God has and that increase can come to your life. Are you developing a heart of humility? Are you beginning to practice the actions of worship? Are you beginning to be a true worshiper of God, worshiping in spirit and truth? Because if you'll raise your worship to, to another level, God will meet you at another level. Did you hear me? If you raise your worship to another level, God will meet you at another level. And if you've never invited Jesus into your life, today can be the day that you step right over here and say, Jesus, I need you and I receive you. And today can be your day that you get the same shower we got, washed clean, made new, a new spirit, a new heart. Would you bow your heads together with me as we pray? Father, today I've done the best I know how to do to try to communicate this word that you put in my heart today, the principle of worship and how it leads to wisdom and leads to increase in every realm of our life. And I pray for each one of us that you would help us to cultivate in our hearts and lives the spirit of humility. Lord, help us to humble ourselves before you and know that as we do that you, you give more grace to us. You pour out grace upon our lives as we humble ourselves before you. Help us to begin to be more responsive to you in praise and in thanksgiving and prayer and giving and serving and obeying. Help us to live that kind of life. Help us to be true worshipers of God. And I pray that you'll seal this word in our heart. And I pray that out of this, we would take our worship to a new level with you. And out of that experience, the new increase that you have for us. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me. And I'm going to give you a prayer to pray. And you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out. And from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God. And I promise you that he will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of his name. Say, Jesus. I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out and you become a new creation. All things pass away, all things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. 
your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.